If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Acts chapter 27. If you need one, there's one in front of you. You can grab that. Acts chapter 27. We've got a little uh, housekeeping before we get into the message. First of all, Mr. Kerry Cross himself, Jim Crandon, is sitting right here on the front row. Would you just stand up? Everybody can see that. Come on, stand up. Isn't that a cool story? All right. Um, he'll be down front at the end of the service, and we're going to put his website in the Connect Center. Um, you know, if we're not like we're sitting on infomercial. We're not trying to sell product here, but if you want to get one of those, you can. Also, a dear, dear, dear friend of mine, Peter Abiermana from Compassion International, is here. Stand up, Peter. Turn around. Our dear friend, my brother from another mother, Peter Abiermana. Took me two years to figure out how to say his name. And... And then, and then also, we have some just VIP guests with us. Um, I introduced you to this family, um, I think back maybe in December, when we were doing our Love That Sticks campaign, and um, told you about a friend of mine named Pastor Ryan Kwan and his wife, Jenny. They planted a church uh, on the West Coast, on the left coast, just outside of San Francisco, and God is doing an amazing gospel work in Resonate Movement. That's the name of their church. And, um, but remember, we talked about some persecution that, that they were facing um, right now at their church. Right now, they have a couple hundred volunteers loading in church. Now, you just have to load yourself into Walmart, and then church just happens. But at their church, they have to load in stage and lighting and all of that. And they also really have to overpay for their rented facilities because there's people in that community that, that think that it's intolerant to have a gospel-centered church there. And then he was also the guy um, that somebody detonated a bomb in, on his front doorstep while his family was there. And if you'll remember, we wrote letters to their family just to encourage them. Well, they, they are here with us this weekend, and I want to invite the Quans just to just come on up here. And I just... So, Juan's family in uh, God, it makes me cross. I don't cry. I work out. I have hobbies. So, we just, you're heroes for us. You're heroes for us and, and the gospel-centered movement that God is doing in you and through you and your church. And we love you and we're for you. And in the New Testament, it seems like core values of the church were honor and hospitality. And it seems like in, in modern days, we have traded that in for cynicism and criticism. And so not at the Church of 1122. And so we just want to honor you and what God is doing through you. And we love you. And we know you're doing a good work. And, and you're surrounded by great people. But you've got people here at the Church of 1122 that will just constantly be in prayer for you and be supporters of you. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. First of all, your worship is not loud enough. My daughter slept through the worship service. So, uh, I should say that first. Um, when Joby and I first talked about this place, I, I thought it was a figment of imagination. You know how dudes elaborate and they exaggerate it. Uh, this place is a joke until I actually stepped in. But also, your hospitality, your love for us, all the Facebook messages, and especially the prayer cards. Um, I read every single one of them. It took me about two months. <laughs> Uh, that's why it took me about two months to post it on Facebook, but I read every single one of them and wept over many of them, and some of you gave money, some of you gave 
uh, love and prayer and Bible verses. Some of you gave me phone numbers. I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, we're so incredibly grateful for what God is doing here at the church of 1122. We're grateful for this family. We're grateful for the love culture you have here, the radical um, living out of faith that clearly is evident in this place. And now we are the recipient of this violent grace of this incredible church. And we're so happy to be here. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying for us. And thank you for loving Christ, most importantly. Amen. Hey, church, we're going to pray for him. If you would um, reach your hands forward as if you're standing up here laying hands on them. Folks, would you just look out there real quick at, at a church family? Quans, look right here. Look at the people just laying their hands on you. All right, as we pray for you. Dear Father in heaven, God, we thank you. We love you because you first loved us. God, I thank you so much for this man, this woman, their, their kids, God, that you have called them that you have anointed them, that you have equipped them, and that you have appointed them for a good gospel work. God, I pray that these few days have been full of peace and you've given them rest for their souls so that they can go back and get right back to work of proclaiming and fighting for the kingdom and the gospel. God, I thank you that the fight is over. The victory is yours, God. And I pray that they would rest in you. And God, I thank you for this gospel-centered friendship. And, uh, and we pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> oh, got me a little worked up. All right, so here we go. If you hadn't found Acts 27 by now, give up and uh, just work on it on your own during the week. <clears throat> we are in week three of, a, of a, this, this three-week series called Hold Fast. We're in Acts 27. We're talking about the shipwreck that happened. Hold fast is a nautical term. When a rope is, is taut uh, on a ship, it's called fast. And so sailors in times of trouble were to hold fast, hold on to that tight rope. They would uh, tattoo it on their, on their knuckles to hold fast. And so that's what we've been talking about. Week one, Pastor Ryan led us in, in holding fast to influence and um, and then essentially what happened is, is we talked about how we make decisions around here and how everybody has influence and you can lead yourself, you can lead others, you can lead leaders. And one of the things that happened is we rolled out some of the things that God's laid on our heart as a church um, in this uh, 2014 mission and vision. And now you didn't get this today. Remember I talked about it uh, via video a couple weeks ago, but I just wanted to walk through a couple of things because I wanted to say it live is I want you to keep this as a prayer guide. This is your prayer guide for the year. If you want to know how to pray for your church, this is how you pray for your church. And when you open it up, it says celebrate 2013. And one of the biggest numbers here in 2013, a thousand people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now your golf clap for that is a little ridiculous, okay? The Bible says that the angels in heaven throw a party every time one who is lost is saved. And you're just going, oh, praise the Lord. Um, it's kind of a big deal. Now, a part of the reason, a part of the reason we're going to talk about holding fast to the cross today is because I don't want you to look at that and think, and think we're awesome or think that we did this. I don't want to, we do have an awesome church, but we don't have an awesome church because we're awesome. We have an awesome church because he's awesome. And by his grace and by his mercy and by his favor, for whatever reason, he's decided to move amongst us. And praise God, he is. And so in, in 2014, we've got some stuff that we believe that God has laid on our hearts. And the thing that's a little bit different about this vision piece is 
typically you have it all buttoned up when you present it to your congregation and say, this is what we're doing with or without you. And, 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 and this is the, here are the blueprints and all that sort of stuff. There's some things in here that we'll do in 14 and we don't even know exactly what they are yet. That's why we're giving it to you now because we're family and we need your prayers. One of the things that's heavy on my heart is assimilation. It's great that 5,000 people show up here on a weekend. It's a travesty if we don't make disciples of you. Okay? And so, discipleship happens best in, in circles, not rows. Discipleship happens best when you know the people's name that you're talking to, when people are praying for you specifically, when you can stop in the middle of the text and go, I have a question. Please don't do that in the next hour, but show up at somebody's house in a disciple group and you can dialogue over the text. And so, at the end of this service, in all of our lobbies, we've got lobbies in every direction now, okay? Any direction you go, you'll find disciple group leaders there that will help you get plugged into a disciple group. We want you to assimilate, to become a part of this body that way. Also, this year, we're rolling out covenant membership. It's pretty cool. We're we're a year and a half old. It's time we have members. I joined our church two weeks ago. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? All right, just became a member. And let me tell you this. This is not a country club. All right, this is not a country club. You don't get any privileges with your membership. You don't get a discount. Like, you don't get a 10% off your mission trip if you get baptized. None of that kind of stuff, okay? Um, in fact, it'll cost you more. It, it's for church membership, covenant membership at the Church of 1122 will be for those of you that want to move from a consumer of the products here to an owner of mission, vision, and values. And so I'll do my best all year to talk you out of uh, joining our church to say it'd be much easier to just sit and attend and then in droves you will join because that's what you do. Um, Secondly, another thing we talked about here is just staff development. Man, we have an amazing staff. We have a talented staff. We have a gifted staff. We have a passionate staff. We have a staff that loves Jesus and we have a young staff. And so we are putting a lot of time, effort, attention, dollars to just continuously training up our staff. That includes conferences and seminars and bringing leaders in. And we need you to pray for our staff to grow in our leadership maturity as we try to steward what God has given us in the area of responsibility. Also in this, you'll see that we have a um, we are trying to develop a multi-site strategy because we believe that geography should not be a limiting factor in people discovering and deepening a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we don't know when that'll happen. We don't know where that'll happen. And we need you to pray for us. We believe that God is leading us to to launch other campuses in and around this city. And so we need your prayer like crazy. Also, I always like to just put in here um, just some of the big events that are happening. Uh, This year in April, I don't know if you know this, but we're having Easter again. We're going to celebrate the resurrected Savior once again. And just like we do, we're going to kick it off with elder-led prayer. And it'll be 40 days of fasting. And we'll all fast together, all right? And, and again, fasting is still a relatively new thing for me. I grew up Southern Baptist, right? We just we, we fasted from Budweiser and dancing always. That was like the eternal fast. And then I began to read in the Bible that you're supposed to fast from other things too. And so we're going to fast together and pray together and give together and get ready for Easter. And then this summer, we're going to do beach baptisms. How many of you were part of beach baptism last year? Did you attend? Were you there? Wasn't it awesome? I mean, it was epic. I remember strolling out on the beach like a Moses movie. There's people everywhere. And so we'll do that again. All right, it'll be our version of church on the ground. Just wear your flip-flops to church. We'll hustle out and break uh, break. Hannah Park again and over overrun them and baptize probably three or four hundred people. We'll do that. And then in the fall, um, we'll do saturated, our our 
midweek revival will start on Wednesday. We'll go all the way through Sunday. And we'll just be saturated in the manifest presence of God. And I need us as a church praying about those things. We don't just do events to do events. But, but we're just trying to join together with what God is doing here. So I need us praying about Easter. I need us praying about our beach baptisms. And I need us praying about saturating our revival in the fall. And then one of the biggies on here is uh, we are leasing what is known as the Old Wind Dixie at the other end of the parking lot. Many of you parked in front of the old Winn-Dixie at the other end of the parking lot. And when you read in the Bible about suffering for Jesus, you thought that's what it means, all right? Because you had to walk all the way from there. And so part of the reason we needed to, to lock that down is because of the parking. We need all that parking as, as God continues to grow our church. But even more importantly than that, we're going to put a community transformation center there. Now, now here's, the, here's the part that we should probably have all the details together. We don't even know exactly what that means yet. That sounds very 1122, doesn't it? But here's what I know. We don't want to just give out band-aids. That we actually want to be a gospel center transforming work in this community. So we're gathering information of how we could make the greatest gospel-centered impact on the lives of the people right here in this community and around Jacksonville. And so I need you praying like crazy for that community transformation center. And so please keep this guide all year long. Put it up on your refrigerator, in your bathroom, on, your, you know, on the windshield of your car. And you can just look right over it. And you can just study this and pray for us as a church as we go through this. And so that, that's a part of what the Lord was doing, is doing in 2014. And then week two, we talked about holding fast to hope. Now, listen, I've been here, I've, I've been to a lot of church services before. But if you were here last Sunday morning, you know that God moved. God moved in a supernatural way. We talked about being in a hopeless situation. And I invited anybody that felt like they were in a hopeless situation to just stand up and admit it right where you are. And there are people all over this church. In all of our services, in our video venues, people just stood up. And they were just claiming hope in Jesus Christ. He's the only legitimate source of hope. And what I love about our church is before I even said anything... From up here, I could see I could see hands reaching out and hands going on shoulders and people just gathering around those folks to pray. And really, today's message, Hold Fast to the Cross, is really just a continuation of last week's message about holding fast to hope. Because the only legitimate source of hope is Jesus. And it's why this week we're going to talk about holding fast to the cross. It's why we told Jim Crundon's story, the Cary Cross guy. Because we want to hold fast to the cross. And, and I've got a few carry crosses, all right? I've got a Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another one. That was a, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu one. I've got a Daniel 6, 22 carry cross that I keep in my office. I've got a never quit uh, keychain carry cross, John 3, 8 there. I got a little guy right here that my, pa- that my kids like to play with, all right? They kind of keep it like an action figure. I've got a big chunky Acts 11.24 carry cross. That's the verse that's tattooed on my arm. I've got a Mark 11.22. I don't know if you know that verse. You might want to look it up. Mark 11.22 carry cross. And I've got uh, the church of 11.22 carry cross. And so why? I put these all over my office because I want to be constantly reminded to cling to the cross. So what we're going to do today is what we do every week. I'm just going to unpack the gospel. 
We're going to unpack the gospel so that we can look at what it looks like to cling to the cross. Because if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, this will be the most important message that you've ever heard. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this will be the most important message that you've ever heard. Because the gospel is not just for your justification, not just that thing that makes you a Christian. It's also for your sanctification. Because Jesus himself said that we've got to daily deny ourselves and take up our cross. And so what we're going to do, once again, is we're just going to unpack the gospel. And here's how we're going to do it. I believe that Acts 27, the shipwreck of Paul, is this perfect picture of the gospel of Jesus. It's this perfect picture of our condition and our salvation. So Acts 27, we're going to begin in verse 39. The Bible says, Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach in which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors, and they left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. So you, you, remember, you remember last week, all the men had lost hope. They were in this hopeless situation. And now this ship that is drifting off course and drifting towards this shipwreck, now it's run aground and the whole thing's falling apart and they are in this shipwreck. And this is our spiritual condition. That you and I, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're from, regardless of what you've done, this is our spiritual condition. That we are shipwrecked and it's worse than you think. Now, I know, especially if you're younger than me, I know that you were raised in a generation that told you, you know, you're a snowflake and you're a rainbow and just follow your heart. Oh, bless you. The truth is that, that the culture and the current that we live in is not neutral. That the culture and the current that we live in drifts us away from God, drifts us towards being Lord of our own life. Drifts us away from godliness and his plan and purpose for you in your life. The problem is, is that when you're drifting in a ship that's headed for a shipwreck, you typically don't notice. And the reason that you don't notice is because you don't compare yourself to a perfect and almighty, holy and just God. You just look around everybody else on the ship and go, you know what? I'm not wretched and black hearted. I'm pretty good. If you want to see wretched and black hearted, you should meet my roommate. Now that dude is a wretch. But I'm pretty good. Or compared to the people on the evening news, I'm doing pretty good. But again, you compare yourself to the other people that are the other prisoners on the ship. And you are drifting towards being Lord of your own life. You're drifting towards shipwreck. This author named D.A. Carson, he says it this way. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. You get that? That nobody's ever going to be accidentally awesome. It's kind of like your yard. You're not going to accidentally have the yard of the month. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. And if you notice a problem, it's over. you got to resod, especially in Florida, right? You go, oh, I think we have, and it's all dead. That's just how it happens here. The same thing is true like in your relationship with your wife's husband. I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. But if that's all you do this year, guess what? Your relationship is shipwrecked. That it is drifting 
towards shipwreck. And so D.A. Carson says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people, people do not gravitate towards godliness or prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. So you get this? We are all drifting. And if you just look around, not at the immovable God, but if you just look around at the people on your left and right, you'll think, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. Because I'm just, I'm just going with the flow. You do not want to go with the flow. Because it ends in a shipwrecked life. And so if you don't know Christ, listen, you are on a fast track to be eternally separated from Him. But here's the thing, Christian. But so are we. That, that we all, if we don't pay attention, that we can get caught up in that same kind of flow. The, the hymn writer would say it this way. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that true about you? Because it could be true about me. That I'm prone to just kind of wonder. Look, I've never met the Christian that's drifted far from God and shipwrecked their life and then say, what happened, bro? And he goes, well, it was a Tuesday morning and I got up and I went, man, I'm going to do this anymore. I'm just going to dart into danger. No. It was typically just a drifting Kind of like cattle. You ever watch cattle? You probably didn't, but we were in Dillon. What else are you going to do? So, you know, they eat a little grass here, and they go, oh, here's more grass. Oh, here's more grass. And they'll just wander away. That's why you have to put up cattle fences. You know, the fences actually can't contain the cattle. If they wanted to run through it, they could just run right through it. It's just to remind them, hey, it's safe in here. You've never been driving down the road and had a cow dart out in front of you. Because cows don't dart. They're not at the edge of the road going, all right, ready, ready, go. No. They're not like deer. You know, you drive through and you see the deer crossing sign and you think, all right, be careful. You got to be on the lookout because one might dart across. That's typically not how we act. By the way, my my brother's a police officer with St. John's um, Sheriff Department. And a lady, uh, let's just be honest, probably from Ponte Vedra, called in and said... um, Probably, uh, probably from there. And she calls in, she says, hey, we need to move that, you need to move the deer crossing uh, place on 210 because it's very dangerous for the deer. Um, that's when you just go, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> My daddy said, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough, right? So that's typically not how we operate. We typically don't dart into danger. We typically wander. We drift. And listen, our, our, our current, our cultural current is not neutral. It's not. Every surfer in here knows this. If you paddle out with a bunch of your buddies and, and all you do is you don't pay attention to the immovable objects on the shore, but you're just comparing yourself to the surfing group that you, you were with, you realize you can paddle out at the pier and you go, well, there's Ben and there's Luke. I think I'm straight. And then when you show up, you're like, how do we get to the poles? Because you're just drifting and drifting and drifting. And every single one of us, particularly apart from Christ, we are on a fast track to a Christless eternity. 
And then it gets even worse. It's even worse. You see in verse 42, it says the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim and, and escape. Well, not only are we experts at shipwrecking our own life. I mean, can we just be honest there? Has anyone ever lied to you as much as you? Has anyone ever broken as many promises to you than you? Has anyone ever deceived you more than you? So you're already an expert at ruining your own life. And then there's a spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, that says, and I want to help. He's like, the soldiers here, they're on their way to be shipwrecked, and the soldiers go, that's not enough, we're going to try to kill you. The Bible says that there's a thief, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. He wants to steal your hopes and dreams. That the enemy wants to steal the God-given dreams that the Almighty Father in Heaven has placed in you. He wants to ruin those. And he wants to kill your hope. He wants you to get so fixated on your current circumstances that you've got no hope to lift up your eyes and see the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. He wants to destroy you. Because every single person in here is an image bearer of the almighty God and he wants to destroy it. So not only can you just wreck and ruin your own life, but in addition to that, there's an enemy that wants to kill you. And so in Acts 27, the ship wrecks, and they realize they're going to have to abandon ship. And so they either jump over the side or they're thrown over the side. And then there they are. Now these are prisoners, shackled, hands and feet, with heavy chains, in the ocean, the storming ocean. And there is an impossible and impassable swim from the place they are to the dry and safe land. I hope you understand, apart from Christ, that is our spiritual condition that we are shipwrecked that we are bound that we are shackled and every single one of us by our own effort at best are trying to tread water and here's the thing we can't make the swim we can't make the swim i mean it'd be hard enough if you didn't have the shackles but for the men who are shackled here it is impossible and the truth is is that we're all shackled apart from christ every single one of us are bound and shackled it's just different shades of the same shackle, but does it really matter what the shackle is? And so there's some common shackles among us all. One is self-reliance. Some of us are shipwrecked, bound, and shackled, and yet in your pride and arrogance go, God, I don't need you. I got this. I've got this. I've got enough. Um, I got a life coach, and, and, and I've got enough therapists, and I got, a, I got a new self-help book, and the better version of me is going to get me to the shore. And it's... Your, your shackle is pride. And some, people are, some people are shackled by the pursuit of good enough. You think your morality is going to save you? you? You haven't even thought through your pursuit very well. If you think that good people go to a good place because God is good. Well, the question to you would be, well, then how good? How good do you have to be to qualify for heaven? Because if that was the case, don't you think God would give you like a midterm? At least know where you are on the scale. Because, you know, most of us, we've got... To, point in college that said, I think I'm going to have to drop this class. I don't have enough tests left to get up. And you know, when we were going for that C's equal degrees kind of mentality, some of you can't even get to a C. Right? I mean, I know you. There's some people in this room, and if the, the good people go to heaven philosophy works, you don't have enough life left to do good to make up for what you've done. I read your prayer request. I'm telling you, you ain't going to make it. And it can just be uh, shackled. 
Some people pursue power. Some people money. Some folks, the, <clears throat> the temporary things of this world. And, and the, the crazy thing is, is that those things that you purchase to entertain you now own you. The same thing is true of addiction. Everyone in here that struggles with addiction, that, that is in the shackles of addiction. I mean, let's, if we could be honest, when, it, when you started out, weren't you going to drink that or take that or ingest that or stick that or whatever for your entertainment? And at first, it was fine, wasn't it? I mean, the crazy thing about temptation is it's tempting. That's the whole point. And then you were consuming these things for your own enjoyment, and now they consume you and they lord over you. And it's a shackle. And you feel like you're about to drown. Another common shackle where we live is religion. Is religion. That you're not clinging to the cross. You're just kind of arrogantly leaning against it. Saying, hey, hey, the rest of y'all need this. As if you don't. Occasionally I'll get that email from somebody in here that's bound by the shackles of religion and it'll start out, dear pastor, I was so upset this last Sunday. I brought my family to your church and the first thing that we saw out front was smokers. We will not come back to your church. And I say, praise God for whom all blessings flow. Oh, smoke. Now, I'm not saying you should smoke. You shouldn't. It makes you stink. It's weird, all right? Your teeth turn yellow. Don't smoke. It's dumb. And the crazy thing, and you might be sitting next to somebody right now, and they smell like smoke, all right? And they don't think so because they cracked their window that much and they drove here with it out there. I mean, smokers. It don't work, okay? It don't work. But your pride, so they smell like smoke, whatever. But your pride, your pride is, is the stench of death to God. He opposes you. That, that religious, moral arrogance is a shackle And the reason that you feel so exhausted, the reason that you feel so exhausted is because you're shipwrecked, you're shackled, you're drowning, and you're stiff-arming God going, I got this. I've taken swimming lessons. I've got this. And then some of you are shackled by guilt and shame. Can I talk to the Catholics for just a second? I don't know how, but half our church is Catholic. All right, welcome. Here, God bless you. It counts now, okay? I know your mom's totally disappointed or your mother-in-law's totally disappointed that, you, you know, this isn't like real church. I understand. We're at Walmart. We don't have any stained glass. But listen. <laughs> listen. Christ paid the full price. Christ paid the full bill. If the bill has been paid in total, then you can't owe anything anymore. That's, that's a man-made condemnation. Or your enemies heaping up that condemnation. Why? Because Romans 8.1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So quit trying to do what Christ has already done for you. It's a shackle. It's the enemy's trying to make you drown. Christ did not create you to, to live in that kind of condemnation. See, the crazy thing is this. Listen to this. That we're all wretched. We're all black-hearted. We're sinners. We're, we're sinners. The heart of the problem is our heart. We need a new one. Christ doesn't just want to change you a little bit. He wants to kill that old heart and replace it with his. And, and here's the crazy thing about this, especially if you deal with, with doubt and condemnation and guilt, that, 
that every person that God has saved, when he looks at you, he's not disappointed. There's no regret that God knew the deal that he was getting when he saved me and he stoked about it. That he could, from eternity past, look into eternity future and see all that I am, all that I will ever be. All my lies, all my deception, all the times I let people down, all the times I overpromised and underdelivered to myself and even to him. And he would say, I want that one in my family. I want to adopt that one in my family. And if an angel were to come up and say, you know, he lies a lot, God would go, I know, because he's a liar. And I'm going to change that because I'm going to redeem him. Well, what are you willing to do, God? I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even in our shipwreck and shackled situation. God says, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you in this, that while you were yet still a sinner, drowning on your own, shipwrecked and shackled, with no hope, while you were in that situation, before you ever showed up to church, before you ever tried to do anything good, before you ever joined a group or tried to memorize a verse or do anything worthwhile for God, he said, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you in this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. Do you know that God is not disappointed in you? That God could not be disappointed in one of his children because disappointment has, um, it, it has something to do with being surprised. When you're disappointed by people, it's because you thought they were going to do this and they didn't measure up. And God's never been surprised by you. He didn't look at you last night and go, no way. I never saw that one coming. He fully knew exactly what he was getting into and adopted you anyway. Why? Because love is not simply an attribute of God. God is love. And he poured out his love on the cross for you. So this is our condition. And yet, so many of us are shackled. We're caught up in this drift and we're shackled up and we say, I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses. You don't want to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses are going to hell. You don't want to keep up. If your name's Jones, I apologize. But and So here's the crazy thing. That is our condition. Whether you believe it or not, it's really irrelevant. That is our condition. Shipwreck. But that's not the end of the story. You know, some of you are going through shipwrecks in your life right now. Some of you feel shackled and the waves are coming over your head and it's everything you can do just to keep your head above water. I want you to realize this. It's going to be hard to see when you're in the middle of a shipwreck, but it's often by God's grace that he allows you to experience that. That God will do whatever it takes to draw men and women and students unto himself. God's wrath in your life would actually be to turn you over to whatever you wanted. But he may, he may let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death so that you'll know that he is with you. And so what happens here? Verse 43. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He said, soldiers, don't kill them. We're going to do something else. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And then here's us. Here's every single one of us. Verse 44. And the rest on planks... Or pieces of the ship. Do you see the picture of the gospel? That the ship wrecks. The people are drowning. They're bound. They're shackled. No matter, no matter how they try to swim. Doesn't matter if some people try the breaststroke. And some people try the backstroke. And some people try to go underwater. And some people freestyle. And some people doggy paddle. It's an impossible swim. It's an impossible and impassable thing. Between where they are and the safety they need to get to. And so what do they do? They, they cling to the planks 
or to the pieces of the ship. That they would take a couple of pieces and put them together, maybe like a cross, and they would cling to the cross to get to where they could not go on their own. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every single one of us, every single one of us, need to cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. It is the only source of salvation. The cross is the only source of salvation. D.A. Carson in another book says it this way, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, He'd have sent an economist. If He perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, He would have sent us a politician. If He perceived that our greatest need was health, He would have sent us a doctor. But He perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from Him, our profound rebellion, our death, and He sent us a Savior. That Jesus came to save sinners. Theologians would call it substitutionary atonement. That God would do for you what you could not do for yourself. That God would pay your debt even though He didn't owe it and you can't pay it. But He would pay it. Everybody knows what the word substitute means? That word atonement means payment. Because the truth is, you and I serve a holy and just God. And so, we're sinful people, so we can overlook sin, but a perfectly just God will not overlook sin. And when we sin, it's a big deal. We killed Jesus. It's a big deal. Our sin is a slap in the face of an almighty and sovereign God. And when you sin against an almighty and everlasting God, it requires an everlasting punishment. And so in God's justice, sin must be atoned for or paid for. But in God's mercy, God delays payment. In other words, as soon as you sin, he doesn't require payment. You know how I know? Because if that were the case, you'd just be a little greasy spot in your seat right now. All right, it'd be over for you. Lightning bolts, whatever, flood, it don't matter. So in his justice, he requires payment. In his mercy, he delays payment. And in his grace and love, he makes the payment. So not only is he just, but he's the justifier. And every single one of us, one day, must make atonement for our sins. We will all stand before an almighty God, and we can either self-atone. I'll pay for my sin. Well, the way you pay for your sin is an eternal separation from the source of everything that is good and holy and right and lovely. And that eternal separation we call hell. Or, or. You can take the substitutionary atonement. The substitutionary atonement. I'll take Christ's payment in my place. Well, how does that happen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. That all of our sin is put on or imputed under Christ on the cross, and he makes the full payment. And all of his righteousness is imputed or put on us, so we get all the benefit. That he, take, he makes the payment for our sin and we get to be the heirs of the kingdom. And then when Christ resurrects from the grave, he conquers sin and death so that we could be his brother and co-heirs in all that is the Father's kingdom. Do you see the deal God makes with us? So let me get this right. You have to surrender what you can't hold on to to receive what you could never lose. That's right. And, I, and God says, and I'm going to make the payment. And he's so serious about this that he sends his only begotten son that whoever would, would trust or submit or surrender their life to the lordship of Christ, 
that whosoever that would do that would be saved. And so, let's pick it up in 44. And everybody look at your Bible. And so it was that, what's that word? All. One guy that I paid to be here, he's on staff with me, all right? And so it was that, what's that word? All. 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 I don't know if you've been around the church of 1122 long enough to figure out that we're a movement for who? All All people. You know, when we were starting this church, I had some church growth experts tell me, um, they they asked me, who's your target audience? I said, all people. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You got to have a target. You got to have a target. That's how you grow a church. Get a target. I said, I'm a hunter. You don't want me targeted anything. It's not good for the target, okay? There's no, that's what you do. You got to find like a 36, 37-year-old, probably white male with multiple degrees, three kids, a wife that tithes. And then you figure out who your target is, you know, 1122 Ed. And then what you do is you, you build all of your programs and services to take care of his family, and then you'll attract all that kind of people that you want. And I said, well, that smells a little like bull on to me, so we ain't doing that. No. You know why? Because the gospel is for all people. All kind of people. All socioeconomic classes. All colors. Yes and amen. It's also for all people regardless of where you are spiritually. Listen, those of you that think you are too far away, you've done too many bad things to be saved. Because you've told me before, Pastor, but you don't know my past. Oh, you don't know the extent of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Christ's arms stretched out for you on the cross are so, they're that much bigger than what you've, anything you've ever done or will do. I've got good news for you. If you'll surrender your life to Jesus and cling to the cross, you can be saved. That's good news. And also, for those of you that grew up in church, I mean, you really grew up in church. You've been to VBS a hundred times. You've got sashes with ribbons and perfect attendance. And you know what a sword drill is. And if I started singing, I am a C, I am a C, you could finish that song. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Oh. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've got good news for you, church people that grew up in church. Guess what? You can be saved. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That, that you can't be a Christian just because your grandma was. You don't get to inherit the Holy Spirit. Your attendance at church doesn't save you. If I could write my own book of Proverbs, I'd add this one in. I, you being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. Okay, it's not the outside in. It's the inside out that you too could cling to the cross and that you could be saved. That the gospel invitation It's for all people. That's why this place is a movement for all people. All people. To discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it this way in John 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's talking about being a shepherd. So essentially what he's saying there is, he's saying, I'm the only way. I'm the only source of salvation. But if you'll go through me, If you'll surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, you'll find pasture. That means rest or Sabbath. In another place, Christ gives this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Anybody here weary? Anybody exhausted? Can I tell you what's exhausting? It's trying to make the swim when you're shackled with shame or guilt or pride or religion. It's exhausting to try to keep your head above water. Especially when there's a plank right there that all you got to do is cling to. That the cross 
of salvation is right there. And that's all you have to do is surrender. And he says, come to me, all you who are exhausted. And then Jesus says, and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. Look, I don't even know exactly what rest for your soul means, but doesn't it sound like an incredible invitation? Imagine going to bed tonight with your sins forgiven and your soul at rest. That's the invitation of Christ. And he goes on to say, he says, anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they, that's you, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. J.I. Packer says it this way, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people, and he will send them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. Listen, when you cling to the cross, when you surrender your life to Jesus, here's the crazy thing, the shackles fall off. They just fall off. They won't hold you anymore because Christ came to set the captives free. And when by grace the shackles fall off, it's not so that you can swim harder, Christian. It's so that you can cling tighter to the cross. And if the, and if the shackles fall off and you think, sweet, now I can just swim on my own and do something dumb. It's evidence that you didn't understand what the grace was there to begin with. The grace was there so that you could walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. So the invitation today is for all people. All people that understand that you're shipwrecked and you're shackled. And you've been trying to doggy paddle this thing just to keep your head above water and you're exhausted. Then you're going to make a great disciple. When you quit swimming and you cling to the cross. And you surrender to the cross. But I also want to give an invitation to those of you that would call yourself a Christian. You say you love Jesus. You're a Christ follower. And even though the shackles fell off sometime in the past, for some crazy reason, you're still not grasping onto the gospel and you're still trying to perform your way in. And the shackles fell off, but you're still holding the weight of them. They don't fit you anymore. It's why when Christ called Lazarus out of the grave, he said, take off your, take off your burial cloths. Why? Because living people don't wear dead man's clothes anymore. Free people don't walk around carrying their shackles anymore. Listen, by the power of the cross, it's time to let that stuff go. So some of you here for the very first time understand that you're shipwrecked. And the gospel is not God is good and you are bad, so you better swim faster. That's not the gospel. That's a heresy of moralism. The gospel is you can't make it on your own. That you're not a mistaker in need of a life coach. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And today could be the day that you would surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head right where you are? Would you take just a second to quiet your soul, to get real with the living God who is in this place? And today, maybe for the first time, is calling out to you. And you know it's unexplainable, but it's also undeniable that the Almighty God of the universe knows that you're in this place hearing this message, and he wants to adopt you into his family this day, regardless of what happened yesterday. And if that's you, and this day you are ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, you would say, Pastor, I am exhausted. I've been trying to swim. I've been trying to swim. I've been bound up in bondage of this world. And today, you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Would you raise your hand and say, Here I am, God. I surrender 
Those of you with your hand in the air, you just pray to God. It's not, there's no magic words to repeat. You just pray to the God that would love you enough to send his son to die on a cross for you, to rescue you from your own self. And you just pray to him. Admit that you're a sinner. Surrender your life to him and confess him as Lord and Savior. Now, if you'd put your hand down, now I'm going to talk to the, the follower of Jesus. If you've been saved before, you've surrendered your life to Christ, and yet somehow you, you're still getting bound up in the things of this world. You're drifted away from God. And today, you need to just re-surrender your life. This isn't a salvation thing. You've just taken your eyes off the author and the perfecter of your faith. That like the hymn writer said, you're prone to wonder. And today you're saying, Lord, I don't want to wonder. I want to I trust in you. I want to rest in you. Like Jesus said, I want to daily take up my cross and surrender to you. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, I need prayer? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that this can be a place where we can be real and we can be honest. And God, you know the hearts. Lord, you see the hands. Lord, I pray that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to abide in you, to stay close to you, to continuously put ourselves in environments that stir our affections for you. That God, if we know you as Lord and Savior, we would know that that we don't have to perform anymore. You performed on the cross on our behalf. And that we would rest in that, that you would give us rest for our souls. God, I thank you and I praise you that there's salvation in this place. That on this very day, God, that you reached down into the shipwreck. And God, you, you, you took off the shackles so that men and women and students in this place today would not cling to their own abilities, God, but they would cling to the cross because you are the only source of salvation. And God, may we walk in that freedom. May we walk in that freedom. May we live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to respond like we do every week. This, I would argue, is the most important part of our service. The reason we end this way is not so you can scoot out. The reason is so that you can just marinate in what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's the one you need to be listening to. And so we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. If you're a regular here, you know how to do that in one of the boxes around or electronically in the back. We respond by joining our voices together in response to who God is and what He's done. And especially if you've been carrying a burden that you should be free of, why don't you bring it to the altar? Why don't you lay it at the feet of Christ to never pick up again? The altars are open. Let us join our voices together and let us respond.